0: Hey, I'm Pastor Wilson. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Renew is a church for imperfect people only. Over the last three months, we've seen thousands of posts, protests, and debates on racism. Although much of it has been helpful, as Christians, we're always asking, if the Bible speaks on this, does it have a position? We're spending July looking at passages from the Bible that helps us navigate racial reconciliation in a very divided country. This isn't just a hot topic for our church. At Renew, we value being a family that is multi-ethnic because that's what his kingdom looks like. Also, there's a few links in the description. We'd love for you to fill out a Google form so we can help you connect to our community, Bible studies, and events. Also, if you feel led to support our ministry, There's a PayPal link. And also, you can text to give. This week, my buddy Eric Archer comes out to share about racial reconciliation and the gospel. He preaches about the Good Samaritan and helps us understand Jesus' heart for racial reconciliation. Really thankful for Eric being a part of Renew Church for this week and his voice into our community. Me and him go back to apartment life where we did 30-plus events for an apartment community and learned to pastor Fullerton before pastoring our own churches. Hope you enjoy his message. All right, we're continuing our July series on the Gospel and Racial Reconciliation And today, I'm really excited to invite my friend, Eric Archer, in to share with us. Him and I, as well as my wife and his brother, served on the CARES team for about a year at the apartment complex. We did countless events. We visited lots of doors. And we've gotten to know each other. Throughout our time together, Eric and I were already pastors, so we got to share a lot of pastor life together. And again, over this last few months, as there was a lot of turmoil, I felt motivated to just reach out to a lot of my black friends and see how they're doing. We connected over coffee. I loved hearing his insights, and I really believe that God has um, gifted us with him this week to speak into our church. Uh, He prepared a a question for us. We always kind of do a five-minute pause in our service to engage in conversation and in community. And so this week, what's the nicest thing that someone's done for you? And what's the nicest thing you've done for another person? We're going to take a five-minute break, and then um, Pastor Eric will come and share the word with us this morning.
1: awesome. I pray uh, that you had an amazing time to uh, be able to discuss those questions that we just talked about, what the nicest thing uh, that someone's ever done for you, and the nicest thing that you've done for somebody else. I pray that that time was fruitful uh, for you, and so I hope that you enjoyed that. Um, first, I just want to introduce myself. I am uh, Eric Archer uh, the second, and I am so grateful for Pastor Wilson inviting me to be a part of this. Thank you for that wonderful introduction and just talking about our friendship, and uh, I do believe in God's providence. I believe that God uh, puts everything in place for a reason, and He has a plan for everything. And I, I know that when we met uh, almost six years ago, that it was for a time such as this, to just to be here. And so I'm grateful to be a part of this. I also just want to thank you for New Church, um, for having this conversation, for being open uh, to it, for not tuning out this week once you learn what we were talking about, but to actually being open to being a part of the solution uh, when it comes to racial, racial reconciliation. I, um, I don't take it lightly. Uh, that you are involved, that you are engaged, that you are open to listening, learning, uh, and doing better. And so thank you uh, for being a part of this conversation today. Um, I shared uh, with Pastor Wilson that uh, when I first moved back to Orange County in 2014, I felt a a leaning and a call to bring this conversation of racial reconciliation uh, to churches across Orange County, uh, specifically churches that were not predominantly African-American as mine is, uh, and to be able to have this conversation because I believe that the church should be leading these conversations, conversations of injustice uh, of all kinds. And so uh, I am grateful to be here, to be able to fulfill a part of that mission, uh, and grateful that God is continuing uh, to use me in that way. But before we get into the word, I would like to just whisper a word of prayer. I pray that you will pray with me and for me, even as I teach, uh, that you'll be continually praying for me, that the spirit will lead uh, us in this time. And so let's pray. Father God, I am just so grateful. I, I don't have the words to clearly articulate how uh, wonderful this moment is for me and how appreciative I am just to be able to Uh, speak on your behalf, God, in this time, to articulate your gospel, uh, to preach even the words of Jesus himself, God, today. Um, I'm grateful, God, that you have chosen to use me. I am humbled. Um, I know that I'm not good enough, and so it's only up to you, and I'm grateful uh, that you have been a part of this with me. God, I pray. That you will lead us and guide us in this time. God, that you'll have your way from every word that comes out of my mouth and off of my lips. Father, will be one that was ordained and designed uh, and orchestrated by you. God, and I do continue to pray for this country as we wrestle with this conversation, God, as we we, we deal with it and talk about it, as um, we share our hearts and our passion about certain issues, I pray, God, that you will bring healing to our country, God, that you will bring reconciliation, God, and that you will help us to... Um, reach and be a leader as the church in all conversations of injustice uh, that take place here. And so God, we just thank you in advance for our time together. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. 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 Again, I am grateful for this conversation, but uh, the reason I'm here today is because there's still more to discuss. There's still more to do. And so uh, I'm grateful to be here. I really want to follow up on what Pastor Wilson preached last week in Philippians chapter 2, where uh, if I had the liberty to summarize, I would believe there was an emphasis on, on empathy, on being able to share in the story of others. We heard how Jesus came here as God himself and was able to share in the experience of mankind, and that we have the same obligation to share in other stories, to understand what they're going through and to hear that. And so it's an amazing message and a great starting point and launching point for even what... I will discuss today, but I think the follow-up question to uh, empathy, the follow-up question to, well, I understand, I hear you, I believe that there's an injustice happening, I get it, Uh, I see the pattern of it, what do I do next? do I vote differently, do I uh, donate to certain organizations, do I protest, do I change my profile picture and make it all black, what do I do, Uh, how do I find a way to to do next, and I I think that all of those are great, those are great things that you can do, but I think the Bible teaches us uh, it's something that will overarch not just that, but any instance of injustice that we the church can model and do, and that's to show compassion, Uh, and so we'll talk a little bit about what that means to to show compassion, what I believe, what I believe the difference between empathy, which is to just feel, but compassion to be motivated to do uh, something to change. And we'll talk a little bit about what that is. But before I get to the scripture text, I, I want to um, first establish two things. My goal for today, number one, is to teach the gospel, right? To teach what I believe the Bible says and this truth that can apply to any situation, but two, uh, to apply the specific truth to the issue and instance of uh, excessive force used on black Americans in this country, primarily but not exclusively by police officers, Uh, and to deal with that specific topic today uh, is the purpose that I'm here. So um, I want to share a story with you. I am a father of three amazing children. Uh, my oldest, my daughter Naomi, she is three years old. She's my princess. Uh, my middle child, my oldest son, is Eric Blake Archer third. We just call him Blake. Uh, and then my youngest, who is only two months old, his name is Noah Chris Archer, uh, and they are amazing. But uh, even more so amazing than them is my wonderful wife, who is also a stay-at-home mother. Uh, and so as you can imagine, she needs help a lot. Uh, and so I remember early in our parenting journey, I wasn't as smart as I am today. And, um, when she would uh, complain of things being hard or difficult or needing help, uh, I would just most often just offer an apology. I'm just, oh, I'm so sorry that you didn't get any sleep last night. I really hope the baby sleeps better tomorrow night. Or uh, I'm so sorry that you feel overwhelmed by all the chores and the dishes and things of that nature. You know what? Forget the ch- dishes, don't even worry about them. Go to sleep, leave them in the sink. You can handle them later. I would offer these apologies uh, and oftentimes try to empathize with where she was, but uh, it did. I didn't learn it fast enough, but eventually I learned that what my wife needed was not empathy. She needed help. What she needed was me to actually take a couple of those shifts at night, right, and to actually help her to to clean those dishes instead of just saying they'll be there for you tomorrow, right. She needed help. What she needed was my compassion. She needed the empathy and what I felt to move me to actually do something that would help her. And I feel as if that's kind of the place that we are in a country as a country right now. I am. Great grateful hear me clearly so beyond grateful and encouraged to see that empathy is at a all- all-time high in the United States of America I believe wholeheartedly that people are finally starting to listen and hear the stories of others, and not just on this issue, but in so many issues, that we are finally starting to listen to one another. But I think that the next step beyond just listening and just feeling and sharing the experience is to show compassion, to move to actually do something and help in a certain situation. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, where we get the... Uh, the the. Ultimate example of what compassion looks like, uh, and Jesus gives it to us in Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 25 through 37. So I'm going to read that for us first, and then we'll talk a little bit about what it says. And it says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to him to the test, uh, to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, being the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. He stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He, being the lawyer, said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do likewise. I think to understand how this text applies to racial reconciliation, we have to understand the context. And contextually, it's important to understand that the tensions between two races have never been higher than they were between Jews and Samaritans. They were bloods and Crips. They, they were oil and water. They were whites and blacks for a large majority of our history in this country. They just did not mix. In fact, uh, it was so bad that Jews would even avoid contact and interaction with Samaritans if on their journey somewhere they had to go through a Samaritan village. They'd rather go around and extend their journey than even cut across through a Samaritan village. In other words, They didn't interact. They didn't know each other. I would believe that the only thing Jews knew about Samaritans were what they had heard word of mouth or what something that had been passed on to them. And if I were to relate that to the 21st century, I'd imagine that Jews only knew about Samaritans from their televisions and from their social media feeds. It I don't know if that sounds familiar at all, but it goes to show that Jesus went out of his way to reconcile races. Not just in this conversation, but it was a a consistent part of his ministry that he would engage the Samaritans. In fact, just a chapter before this, he was on his way through a Samaritan village and he was rejected by the people. And I don't know what happened exactly, but whatever it was, it was bad enough that James and John was ready to rain down fire from heaven. But Jesus turned around. He rebuked them. He stopped them. And it showed that even in an instance where he was rejected by the very people he was trying to help, It did not stop him from his mission of reconciling these races because now here in this conversation here again, he brings up a Samaritan. So you have to understand that as soon as he invoked the name of a Samaritan in this conversation, it became a conversation about race because for the Jews, they were already triggered. As soon as you brought up the Samaritan, he was already triggered. And so I think it's in that context that we understand uh, the level of compassion that was shown and what it is that Jesus talked about. So. Uh, Without getting too deep into it, we'll get to a couple of these points. I have three points, three things that I think uh, will help us understand exactly what compassion looks like. And I want to share those with us uh, today based off of this story. And so uh, the first one is that compassion is costly. It's not comfortable. Compassion is costly. It's not comfortable. Uh, I imagine that when this this expert in the law, this lawyer, went before Jesus that he had his chest puffed out. He was ready. He knew the law forwards and backwards. He knew what he had to say. And when he asked this question, it was somewhat rhetorical because he was like, Jesus, I already know the answer to this, which is why Jesus flipped it back on him. He was like, well, then you tell me what the answer is. And then he answers the question, and he's feeling good about himself, and he's like, look, I've done this, I've done that, and now looking to justify myself, go ahead and tell me who my neighbor is so I can tell you I've done that too, right? That's how he approaches this conversation, but Jesus just flips the script on him because 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 he tells this elaborate story about this man who had been beaten, stripped, robbed, and left half dead in the street. And he gives this very vivid picture of this, for lack of a better term, naked, bloody man laying in the street. Right. And he talks about this is what happened to this person. And then he goes on to show what the Samaritan was willing to do to help him. It's it's not a coincidence that he then goes to say that he he treated his wounds. He he treated it with wine and oil, things that were valuable and expensive in that day, right? That he put him on his animal, bloody and all, put him on his animal, took him to an inn. He he delayed his journey at least a day or two. He was on his way somewhere, but he stopped what he was doing to serve him. He paid the, the price for him to be in this inn. That there, there was these endless costs and then said, if it costs more than what I gave you, Tell me because I'm going to pay it to make sure that he gets back to where he needs to be. I won't go because there's some questions in the small group about it, but there's just so many parallels. And what happened to this man and then the history of this country when it comes to black Americans. But without dealing too much with that, just focus on the cost of what it took to show compassion to this man. What the Samaritan was willing to pay what he was willing to, how he was willing to be inconvenienced, how he was willing to give up things he owned, how he was willing uh, to even to, to shake culture and what others may have done in this particular situation. And I think the question that it poses to us is, what are we willing to give in order to show compassion? What are we, the church, the people of God, the people who should be emulating Jesus and everything that we do, what are we willing to give to show compassion? Are we willing? To spend money at black businesses, even if that means we gotta give up our precious free two day delivery? Like, are we willing to, 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 give, offer ourselves, if we're a teacher, are we willing to go teach for less money with less resources in a community that can possibly help those children? If we are a lawyer, are we willing to provide representation to people who can't afford it to help them? Or if we're a doctor, are we willing to provide medical uh, assistance to people who don't have adequate insurance? If we are a business owner, are we willing to hire people who may have a criminal past, who just need another opportunity and another step up to try to get back into who they were and, and who they want to be? If we're a police officer, are we willing to call out another officer for using excessive force and going so far as to testify in court to say that what they did was wrong? Are we, how far are we willing to go? What are we willing to pay? What are we willing to give up and do to show compassion? That's the question that's posed to us. And I believe what Jesus models here is that it should be no cost too much to show compassion. There should be no limit to where we will go and what we will do to show compassion. And that is the first thing we see, that compassion is costly. It's not comfortable. But the second thing I see in this text is that compassion is personal. It's not political. I, I, the first few times, many times I've read this text, uh, I think I've always given the priest and Levi a bad rep. I'll be honest. I'll be like, man, they are terrible people. They are terrible church folk. That's why people don't go to church, because you don't stop and help the people when they need help. I I, I gave them a bad rep, but you know what? I think of late, uh, I have tried to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that perhaps they were good people who made a bad choice for what they believed was a good reason. And I think that good reason that they would have perceived was law right? If you know anything about Jewish custom, to touch blood would make you unclean. And so when they saw this bloody man on the road, they passed by on the other side as to not be unclean. Because They said, the law says I shouldn't touch him. I think it's interesting that when the Levite and the priest saw a policy, the Samaritan saw a person, that the difference was when they saw this, this man in the street, they saw the law, they saw the policy, they saw the culture, they saw tradition, they saw religion. But the Samaritan just saw a person who needed help. And I believe Jesus is trying to argue that, that, that if obeying the law it prevents you from helping another person, then I think you got the law all wrong. I think you, you, you misunderstood the point of the law. You don't understand the law. The law was designed to protect him from the robbers that beat him, not prevent the others from helping him. That was the design of the law. The design of the law was to protect us, not to to prevent us from being able to to intervene and to help. And I'm sorry, this is it was one of my favorite points, because this is really personal uh, for me specifically, because it's so frustrating to hear individuals say that if you would just obey the law, this would never happen to you. Because to me, I, I say, well, the law should have protected this from happening to me. If, if the law allows unarmed American citizens to be killed at the hands of the public servants that are supposed to serve us, if the law allows that, then the law needs to change. The law is wrong, and we need to change something about it. If if, if the first time that you watch a video of Elijah McClain die at the hands of police officers, if your first thought is to protect the law or the officers, then you need to question how compassionate you really are. We need to really consider whether we are compassionate, whether we can see people in their stories and separate that from organization. And let me add something, and and this is speaking a little on behalf of black Americans, but I, I believe that for us, this is not a political issue. This particular subject this particular topic is not political to us it's it's besides what some i know uh, organizations and personalities say this is not some hoax to try to be against the republicans or be against police officers or be against any of that that's not what this is for us it's personal when i saw george floyd die at the hands of these police officers the first thing i thought of was not yes that'll get president trump out of office that wasn't the first thing i thought of The first thing I thought of was March 9th, 2010, when I was face down on the ground in a chokehold with four officers on top of me. And I was tased twice because I didn't leave a club the first time they asked me to. That's what I thought of. And then I start to think of my kids and my wife, and I start to cry because I think I would have never experienced the love and life that I have today if that situation had ended differently. That's what I think of. When I see Elijah McClain be approached by police officers for doing absolutely nothing wrong, but because somebody said he was suspicious, I remember here in Placentia just five, six years ago when I was standing in front of the house that my parents still live in to this day, and my neighbors called the police on my brother and I because they didn't know who we were and they thought we were suspicious. And I wonder how that situation could have changed. For us, it's not political. It's personal. And I know that my situation, my story is just one of countless others that don't make the news, that aren't publicized, and that we experience this. And so compassion is seeing the person And saying that the policy needs to match being able to protect the people. So that's the second thing I see. I see, first, compassion is costly. It's not comfortable. Secondly, I see the compassion is personal. It's not political. But third and finally, and I'll be out of your way, compassion is action. It's not attitude. It's action. I I, I love at the end of this encounter, um, Jesus asks the, the expert in law, so which of these two was a good neighbor or which of these three was a good neighbor uh, to the man who fell among the robbers? And I think it's hilarious to me that the, the lawyer couldn't even say to Samaritan. He was like the one who showed him mercy, like he couldn't even speak Samaritan. He was like the one who showed him mercy uh, was the one. And and she just was like, OK, you learned it, but you learned it. Go and do likewise. Don't just know it. Go do it. Don't just believe it. Don't just feel bad for this man. Now go do the same. And go in the Greek here is like to begin a journey. It's to start something that, that there is no end to. You're just going to keep moving and keep showing compassion. Keep doing it in every situation. That, that I believe this lawyer was trying to rest on his lawyer laurels. He was trying to say, I've done enough. And Jesus said, no, you haven't. You can still do more. Go and do the same. Go and do what the Samaritan did for this man who fell. And I'll be honest, um, I, I want to close with this, this story that, uh, when I was working on this and I was reading it again and I was studying it, uh, I was ready to come before you all today and uh, try to justify myself like the lawyer. I was ready to talk about a story and a time in which I remember going out of my way and doing something for somebody that I didn't know and I showed compassion and I did it. I was ready to do that. Um, and then, uh, but ironically, and not ironically, um, I know with the Lord, over the last two weeks, <clears throat> I was presented an opportunity to, to uh, minister to a young man who was experiencing mental health challenges and some spiritual challenges. And uh, I got to talk to the man, and I immediately felt empathy. I felt bad for this guy. I was like, man, he just needs some love, some attention, some understanding. Like, I, I know what he needs. He doesn't necessarily need medication. He, doesn't need, he just needs love and he needs the spirit of Jesus. And, and I was thinking that, but I was like, man, but I ain't got no time. I got three kids. I can't do this. When am I going to meet with this guy? I got to figure this out. And I started making all these excuses for that. And in the middle of this, a wave of conviction comes over me as I repeat this first point, which is the cost. And God said, well, are you willing to pay the same cost that you're willing to ask others to do? And so in the middle of this, God gives me this conviction that until you are willing to go and do the same, until you are willing to continue— Forget what you did before. You ought to continue to do this. The, the, the key to what the Samaritan did was that he was not finished. He was not through until this man was back on his feet and back into the world. He said, I could have just treated his wounds and left them and said, all right, heal and get up. I could have just put him up in a hotel for a night and say, hey, man, if it runs out, you know, put him out on the street and, you know, good luck to him. But he said, until my work is through, until he is back on his feet, I'm not through. And I believe that as a church... It is our responsibility that in, until these injustices are solved, until there is justice, until there is equity and equality, until there is fairness in all of these situations, the, work, the church still has work to do. If we didn't have work to do, Jesus would just call us up now and take us home. But he's left us here so that we have work to do. And so my prayer and my challenge to all of us is that we'll be willing to show compassion in this instance, in this situation, and we'll be willing to go and do things that are are beneficial to creating change in laws, to creating change uh, in mindsets and personalities, to create change in a lot of what is plaguing the black community in this particular situation. And so I pray that we will leave this conversation and that we'll go and do likewise, that we'll leave what we heard here today, that after our encounter with the gospel in Jesus, that I pray that that lawyer went away and did what he was supposed to, and that today after our encounter with Jesus, that we will go and do likewise. Let me close in a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time. Um, It's been a blessing to share my heart, to share uh, your gospel, to talk about those things that you have put in my heart and mind. And I pray, God, that I did your Bible, your word, your authentic a breathed, inspired word of God. I did it justice. I, that is my prayer. I pray that, God, I, I, I only did what you told me to do. But, God, I also pray for all those who heard today that we would feel motivated and moved to create change, to do something different, to be a part of this conversation. God, that we not just rest in empathy, that we not just feel the story and the experience, but we'll be willing to actually go out and create change in a way. And so just thank you for this time. I thank you in advance, God, for the way that this message and this church will create change in our community and in our country and in the world. God, the ripple effect that will take place. I pray, God, that, the, that we'll be able to look back on moments like this and say, God, you orchestrated it to create a better future for this country. And so we just love you, God. We honor you. And we ask these things. In your son Jesus' name we pray.